0: Chapter 60 of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 1, The Three Musketeers, by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In France The first fear of the King of England, Charles I, on learning of the death of the Duke, was that such terrible news might discourage the Rochellais. He tried, says Richelieu in his memoirs, to conceal it from them as long as possible, closing all the ports of his kingdom and carefully keeping watch that no vessel should sail until the army which buckingham was getting together had gone taking upon himself in default of buckingham to superintend the departure he carried the strictness of this order so far as to detain in england the ambassadors of denmark who had taken their leave and the regular ambassador of holland who was to take back to the port of Flushing the Indian merchantmen, of which Charles I had made restitution to the United Provinces. But as he did not think of giving this order till five hours after the event, that is to say, till two o'clock in the afternoon, two vessels had already left the port, the one bearing, as we know, Milady, who, already anticipating the event, was further confirmed in that belief by seeing the black flag flying at the masthead of the admiral's ship. As to the second vessel, we will tell hereafter whom it carried and how it set sail. During this time nothing new occurred in the camp at La Rochelle. Only the king, who was bored, as always, but perhaps a little more so in camp than elsewhere, resolved to go incognito and spend the festival of St. Louis at St. Germain, and asked the cardinal to order him an escort of only twenty musketeers. The cardinal, who sometimes became weary of the king, granted this leave of absence with great pleasure to his royal lieutenant, who promised to return about the 15th of December. Monsieur de Treville, being informed of this by his eminence, packed his portmanteau, and as, without knowing the cause, he knew the great desire, and even imperative need, which his friends had of returning to Paris, it goes without saying that he fixed upon them to form part of the escort. The four young men heard the news a quarter of an hour after Monsieur de Treville, for they were the first to whom he communicated it. It was then that D'Artagnan appreciated the favor the cardinal had conferred upon him in making him, at last, enter the musketeers, for without that circumstance he would have been forced to remain in the camp while his companions left it. It goes without saying that this impatience to return toward Paris had for a cause the danger which Madame Bonacieux would run of meeting at the convent of Bethune with Milady, her mortal enemy. Aramis, therefore, had written immediately to Marie Michon, the seamstress at Tours, who had such fine acquaintances, to obtain from the Queen authority for Madame Bonacieux to leave the convent, and to retire either into Lorraine or Belgium. They had not long to wait for an answer. Eight or ten days afterward, Aramis received the following letter. My dear cousin, here is the authorization from my sister to withdraw our little servant from the convent of Bethune, the air of which you think is bad for her. My sister sends you this authorization with great pleasure, for she is very partial to the little girl to whom she intends to be more serviceable hereafter. I salute you, Marie Michon. To this letter was added an order conceived in these terms. At the Louvre, August 10th, 1628. The superior of the convent of Bethune will place in the hands of the person who shall present this note to her the novice who entered the convent upon my recommendation and under my patronage, Anne." it may be easily imagined how the relationship between aramis and a seamstress who called the queen her sister amused the young men but aramis after having blushed two or three times up to the whites of his eyes at the gross pleasantry of porthos begged his friends not to revert to the subject again declaring that if a single word more was said to him about it he would never again implore his cousins to interfere in such affairs There was no further question, therefore, about marie Michon among the four musketeers, who, besides, had what they wanted. That was, the order to withdraw Madame Bonacieux from the convent of the Carmelites of Bethune. It was true that this order would not be of great use to them while they were in camp at La Rochelle, that is to say, at the other end of France. Therefore, d'Artagnan was going to ask leave of absence of Monsieur de Treville, confiding to him candidly the importance of his departure, when the news was transmitted to him, as well as to his three friends, that the king was about to set out for Paris with an escort of twenty musketeers, and that they formed part of the escort. Their joy was great. The lackeys were sent on before with the baggage, and they set out on the morning of the 16th. The cardinal accompanied his majesty from Sergier to Mause, and there the king and his minister took leave of each other with great demonstrations of friendship. The king, however, who sought distraction while traveling as fast as possible, for he was anxious to be in Paris by the 23rd, stopped from time to time to fly the magpie, a pastime for which the taste had been formerly inspired in him by Deloigne, and for which he had always preserved a great predilection. Out of the twenty musketeers, sixteen, when this took place, rejoiced greatly at this relaxation, but the other four cursed it heartily. D'Artagnan, in particular, had a perpetual buzzing in his ears, which Porthos explained thus. A very great lady has told me that this means that somebody is talking of you somewhere. At length the escort passed through Paris on the 23rd, in the night. The king thanked Monsieur de Treville, and permitted him to distribute furloughs for four days, on condition that the favored parties should not appear in any public place, under penalty of the Bastille. The first four furloughs granted, as may be imagined, were to our four friends; still further, Athos obtained of Monsieur de Treville six days instead of four, and introduced into these six days two more nights, for they set out on the twenty fourth at five o'clock in the evening, and as a further kindness Monsieur de Treville postdated the leave to the morning of the twenty fifth. Good Lord! said d'Artagnan, who, as we have often said, never stumbled at anything. It appears to me that we are making a great trouble of a very simple thing in two days and by using up two or three horses that's nothing i have plenty of money i am at bethune i present my letter from the queen to the superior and i bring back the dear treasure i go to seek not into lorraine not into belgium but to paris where she will be much better concealed particularly while the cardinal is at la rochelle well once returned from the country half by the protection of her cousin half through what we have personally done for her we shall obtain from the queen what we desire remain then where you are and do not exhaust yourselves with useless fatigue myself and planchet are all that such a simple expedition requires to this athos replied quietly we also have money left for i have not yet drunk all my share of the diamond and Porthos and Aramis have not eaten all theirs. We can therefore use up four horses as well as one. But consider, D'Artagnan, said he in a tone so solemn that it made the young man shudder, consider that Bethune is a city where the cardinal has given rendezvous to a woman who, wherever she goes, brings misery with her. If you had only to deal with four men, D'Artagnan, I would allow you to go alone.' you have to do with that woman we four will go and i hope to god that with our four lackeys we may be in sufficient number you terrify me athos cried d'artagnan my god what do you fear everything replied athos d'artagnan examined the countenances of his companions which like that of athos wore an impression of deep anxiety and they continued their route as fast as their horses could carry them but without adding another word on the evening of the twenty-fifth as they were entering arras and as d'artagnan was dismounting at the inn of the golden harrow to drink a glass of wine a horseman came out of the post yard where he had just had a relay started off at a gallop and with a fresh horse took the road to paris at the moment he passed through the gateway into the street the wind blew open the cloak in which he was wrapped although it was in the month of August, and lifted his hat, which the traveler seized with his hand the moment it had left his head, pulling it eagerly over his eyes. D'Artagnan, who had his eyes fixed upon this man, became very pale, and let his glass fall. "'What is the matter, monsieur?' said Planchet. "'Oh, come, gentlemen, my master is ill.' The three friends hastened toward D'Artagnan, who instead of being ill ran toward his horse, they stopped at the door well where the devil are you going now cried athos it is he cried d'artagnan pale with anger and with sweat on his brow it is he let me overtake him he what he asked athos he that man what man That cursed man, my evil genius, whom I have always met with when threatened by some misfortune, he who accompanied that horrible woman when I met her for the first time, he whom I was seeking when I offended our Athos, he whom I saw on the very morning Madame Bonacieux was abducted, I have seen him. That is he. I recognized him when the wind blew upon his cloak. The devil said Athos, musingly. "'To saddle, gentlemen, to saddle! Let us pursue him, and we shall overtake him!' "'My dear friend,' said Aramis, "'remember that he goes in an opposite direction from that in which we are going, that he has a fresh horse, and ours are fatigued, so that we shall disable our own horses without even a chance of overtaking him. Let the man go, d'Artagnan. Let us save the woman!' Monsieur, monsieur, cried a hostler, running out and looking after the stranger. Monsieur, here is a paper which dropped out of your hat. Eh, monsieur, eh. Friend, said d'Artagnan, half a pistole for that paper. My faith, monsieur, with great pleasure. Here it is. The hostler, enchanted with the good day's work he had done, returned to the yard. D'Artagnan unfolded the paper well eagerly demanded all his three friends nothing but one word said d'artagnan yes said aramis but that one word is the name of some town or village amentier read porthos amentier i don't know such a place and that name of a town or village is written in her hand cried athos come on come on said d'artagnan let us keep that paper carefully perhaps i have not thrown away my half pistole to horse my friends to horse and the four friends flew at a gallop along the road to bethune end of chapter sixty recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter sixty one of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume one, The Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas Translated by William Robson This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. THE CARMELITE CONVENT AT BETHUNE Great criminals bear about them a kind of predestination, which makes them surmount all obstacles, which makes them escape all dangers; up to the moment which a wearied providence has marked as the rock of their impious fortunes it was thus with milady she escaped the cruisers of both nations and arrived at boulogne without accident when landing at portsmouth milady was an englishwoman whom the persecutions of the french drove from la rochelle when landing at boulogne after two days passage she passed for a frenchwoman whom the english persecuted at portsmouth out of their hatred for france Milady had likewise the best of passports, her beauty, her noble appearance, and the liberality with which she distributed her pistoles. Freed from the usual formalities by the affable smile and gallant manners of an old governor of the port, who kissed her hand, she only remained long enough at Boulogne to put into a post a letter, conceived in the following terms. To
1: his eminence, Monseigneur the Cardinal Richelieu, in his camp before La Rochelle. Monseigneur, let your eminence be reassured. His Grace, the Duke of Buckingham, will not set out for France. Milady de Boulogne, evening of the twenty-fifth. P.S., according to the desire of your eminence, I report to the convent of the Carmelites at Bethune, where I will await your orders.
0: Accordingly, that same evening, Milady commenced her journey. Night overtook her. She stopped and slept at an inn at five o'clock the next morning she again proceeded and in three hours after entered bethune she inquired for the convent of the carmelites and went thither immediately the superior met her milady showed her the cardinal's order the abbess assigned her a chamber and had breakfast served all the past was effaced from the eyes of this woman and her looks fixed on the future beheld nothing but the high fortunes reserved for her by the cardinal whom she had so successfully served without his name being in any way mixed up with the sanguinary affair. The ever-new passions which consumed her gave to her life the appearance of those clouds which float in the heavens, reflecting sometimes azure, sometimes fire, sometimes the opaque blackness of the tempest, and which leave no traces upon the earth behind them, but devastation and death. After breakfast the abbess came to pay her a visit there is very little amusement in the cloister and the good superior was eager to make the acquaintance of her new boarder milady wished to please the abbess this was a very easy matter for a woman so really superior as she was she tried to be agreeable and she was charming winning the good superior by her varied conversation and by the graces of her whole personality the abbess who was the daughter of a noble house took particular delight in stories of the court which so seldom travel to the extremities of the kingdom and which above all have so much difficulty in penetrating the walls of convents at whose threshold the noise of the world dies away milady on the contrary was quite conversant with all aristocratic intrigues amid which she had constantly lived for five or six years she made it her business therefore to amuse the good abbess with the worldly practices of the court of france mixed with the eccentric pursuits of the king She made for her the scandalous chronicle of the lords and ladies of the court, whom the abbess knew perfectly by name, touched lightly on the amours of the queen and the duke of Buckingham, talking a great deal to induce her auditor to talk a little. But the abbess contented herself with listening and smiling, without replying a word. Milady, however, saw that this sort of narrative amused her very much, and kept at it. Only she now let her conversation drift toward the cardinal but she was greatly embarrassed. She did not know whether the abbess was a royalist or a cardinalist. She therefore confined herself to a prudent middle course. But the abbess, on her part, maintained a reserve still more prudent, contenting herself with making a profound inclination of the head every time the fair traveler pronounced the name of his eminence. Milady began to think she should soon grow weary of a convent life. She resolved then to risk something in order that she might know how to act afterward. Desirous of seeing how far the discretion of the good abbess would go, she began to tell a story, obscure at first, but very circumstantial afterward, about the cardinal, relating the amours of the minister with Madame d'Aguillon, Marion de Lorme, and several other gay women. The abbess listened more attentively, grew animated by degrees, and smiled good thought milady she takes pleasure in my
1: conversation if she is a cardinalist she has no fanaticism at least
0: she then went on to describe the persecutions exercised by the cardinal upon his enemies the abbess only crossed herself without approving or disapproving this confirmed milady in her opinion that the abbess was rather royalist than cardinalist Milady therefore continued, coloring her narrations more and more.
1: "'I am very ignorant of these matters,' said the abbess at length. "'But, however distant from the court we may be, however remote from the interests of the world we may be placed, we have very sad examples of what you have related.' and one of our boarders has suffered much from the vengeance and persecution of the cardinal one of your boarders said milady oh my god poor woman i pity her then and you have
0: reason for she is much to be pitied imprisonment menaces ill-treatment she has suffered everything but after all resumed the abbess monsieur cardinal has perhaps plausible motives for acting thus and though
1: she has the look of an angel we must not always judge people by the appearance good said milady
0: to herself
1: who knows i am about perhaps to discover something here i am in the vein
0: she tried to give her countenance an appearance of perfect candor alas said milady
1: i know it is so it is said that we must not trust to the face but in what then shall we place confidence if not in the most beautiful work of the lord as for me i shall be deceived all of my life perhaps but i shall always have faith in a person whose countenance inspires me with sympathy you would then be
0: tempted to believe said the abbess that this young person is innocent the cardinal pursues not only
1: crimes said she there are certain virtues which he pursues more severely than certain offenses permit
0: me madame to express my surprise said the abbess at what said milady with the utmost ingenuousness at the language you use what do you find so astonishing in that language said milady
1: smiling you are the friend of the cardinal for he sends you hither and yet and yet i speak ill of him
0: replied milady finishing the thought of the superior at least you don't speak well of him that
1: is because i am not his friend said she sighing but his victim but this letter in which he recommends you to me is in order for me to confine myself to a sort of prison from which he will release me by one of his satellites but why have you not fled whither should i go do you believe there is a spot on the earth which the cardinal cannot reach if he takes the trouble to stretch forth his hand if i were a man that would barely be possible but what can a woman do this young boarder of yours has she tried to fly no that is true but she that is another thing I believe she is
0: detained in France by some love affair."
1: (sighs) "'Ah,'
0: said Milady, with a sigh, "'if she loves,
1: she is not altogether wretched.' "'Then,'
0: said the abbess, looking at Milady with increasing interest, "'I behold another poor victim.' "'Alas, yes,' said Milady. The abbess looked at her for an instant with uneasiness, as if a fresh thought suggested itself to her mind. "'You are not an enemy of our holy faith?' said she hesitatingly.
1: "'Who? I?'
0: cried milady. "'I,
1: Protestant? Oh, no, I call to witness the God who hears us, that on the contrary I am a fervent Catholic.'
0: Then, madame, said the abbess, smiling, be reassured, the house in which you are shall not be a very hard
1: prison, and we will do all in our power to make you cherish your captivity. You will find here, moreover, the young woman of whom I spoke, who is persecuted, no doubt, in consequence of some court intrigue. She is amiable and well-behaved. What is her name? She was sent to me by someone of high rank, under the name of Kitty. I have tried not to discover her other name. Kitty? cried
0: milady. What?
1: Are you sure? That she is called so? "'Yes, madame.
0: Do you know her?' Milady smiled to herself at the idea which had occurred to her, that this might be her old chambermaid. There was connected with the remembrance of this girl a remembrance of anger, and a desire of vengeance disordered the features of Milady, which, however, immediately recovered the calm and benevolent expression which this woman of a hundred faces had for a moment allowed them to lose.'
1: and when can i see this young lady for whom i already feel so great a sympathy
0: asked milady why this evening said the abbess to-day even but you have been travelling
1: these four days as you told me yourself this morning you rose at five o'clock you must stand in need of repose go to
0: bed and sleep at dinner time we will rouse you Although milady would very willingly have gone without sleep, sustained as she was by all the excitements which a new adventure awakened in her heart, ever thirsting for intrigues, she nevertheless accepted the offer of the superior. During the last fifteen days she had experienced so many, and such various emotions, that if her frame of iron was still capable of supporting fatigue, her mind required repose. She therefore took leave of the abbess and went to bed softly rocked by the ideas of vengeance which the name of kitty had naturally brought to her thoughts she remembered that almost unlimited promise which the cardinal had given her if she succeeded in her enterprise she had succeeded d'artagnan was then in her power one thing alone frightened her that was the remembrance of her husband of a comte de la fere whom she had believed dead or at least expatriated and whom she found again in Athos, the best friend of d'Artagnan. But alas, if he was the friend of d'Artagnan, he must have lent him his assistance in all the proceedings by whose aid the queen had defeated the project of his eminence. If he was the friend of d'Artagnan, he was the enemy of the cardinal, and she doubtless would succeed in involving him in the vengeance by which she hoped to destroy the young musketeer. All these hopes were so many sweet thoughts for milady, so rocked by them she soon fell asleep. She was awakened by a soft voice which sounded at the foot of her bed. She opened her eyes and saw the abbess, accompanied by a young woman with light hair and delicate complexion, who fixed upon her a look full of benevolent curiosity. The face of the young woman was entirely unknown to her. Each examined the other with great attention, while exchanging the customary compliments both were very handsome but of quite different styles of beauty milady however smiled in observing that she excelled the young woman by far in her high air and aristocratic bearing it is true that the habit of a novice which the young woman wore was not very advantageous in a contest of this kind the abbess introduced them to each other when this formality was ended as her duties called her to chapel She left the two young women alone. The novice, seeing milady in bed, was about to follow the example of the superior, but milady stopped her. "'How, madame,' said she,
1: "'I have scarcely seen you, and you already wish to deprive me of your company, upon which I had counted a little, I must confess, for the time I have to pass here.' "'No, madame,'
0: replied the novice,
1: "'only I thought I had chosen my time ill.' you were asleep you are fatigued well said milady what can those who sleep wish for a happy awakening this awakening you have given me allow me then to enjoy it at my ease
0: and taking her hand she drew her toward the armchair by the bedside the novice sat down
1: how unfortunate i am said she i have been here six months without the shadow of recreation You arrive and your presence was likely to afford me delightful company yet i expect in all probability to quit the convent at any moment how
0: you are going soon asked milady
1: at least i hope
0: so said the novice with an expression of joy which she made no effort to disguise
1: i think i learned you had suffered persecutions from the cardinal continued milady that would have been another motive for sympathy between us. What I have heard, then, from our good mother is true. You have likewise been a victim of that wicked priest. Hush, said milady, let us not even here speak thus of him. All my misfortunes arise from my having said nearly what you have said before a woman whom I thought my friend, and who betrayed me. Are you also
0: the victim of a treachery? no said the novice
1: but of my devotion of a devotion to a woman i loved for whom i would have laid down my life for whom i would give it still and who has abandoned you is that it i have been sufficiently unjust to believe so but during the last two or three days i have obtained proof to the contrary for which i thank god for it would have cost me very dear to think she had forgotten me but you madame you appear to be free continued the novice and if you were inclined to fly it only rests with yourself to do so whither would you have me go without friends without money in a part of france with which i am unacquainted and where i have never been before oh
0: cried the novice
1: as to friends you would have them wherever you want you appear so good and are so beautiful that does not prevent
0: replied milady softening her smile so as to give it an angelic expression
1: my being alone or being persecuted hear me
0: said the novice
1: we must trust in heaven there always comes a moment when the good you have done pleads your cause before god and see perhaps it is a happiness for you humble and powerless as i am that you have met with me for if i leave this place well i have powerful friends who after having exerted themselves on my account may also exert themselves for you oh when i said i was alone
0: said milady, hoping to make the novice talk by talking of herself. "'It is not for
1: want of friends in high places, but these friends themselves tremble before the cardinal. The queen herself does not dare to oppose the terrible minister. I have proof that her majesty, notwithstanding her excellent heart, has more than once been obliged to abandon to the anger of his eminence persons who had served her. Trust me, madame,' the queen may appear to have abandoned those persons but we must not put faith in appearances the more they are persecuted the more she thinks of them and often when they least expect it they have proof of a kind remembrance alas said milady i believe so the queen is so good oh you know her then that lovely and noble
0: queen that you speak of her thus cried the novice with enthusiasm. "'That is to say,' replied Milady, driven into her entrenchment,
1: "'that I have not the honor of knowing her personally, but I know a great number of her most intimate friends. I am acquainted with Monsieur de Boutange. I met Monsieur Duhart in England. I know Monsieur de Treville.' "'Monsieur de Treville?'
0: exclaimed the novice.
1: "'Do you know Monsieur de Treville?' "'Yes.' perfectly well intimately even the captain of the king's musketeers the captain of the king's musketeers why then only see
0: cried the novice
1: we shall soon be well acquainted almost friends if you know monsieur de treville you must have visited him often
0: said milady who having entered this track and perceiving that falsehood succeeded was determined to follow it to the end
1: with him then you must have seen some of his musketeers all those he is in the habit of receiving
0: replied milady for whom this conversation began to have a real interest
1: name a few of those whom you know and you will see if they are my friends well
0: said milady embarrassed
1: i know monsieur de louvigny monsieur de Courtivron, monsieur de Farussac."
0: The novice let her speak, then seeing that she paused, she said,
1: "'Don't you know a gentleman named Athos?'
0: Milady became as pale as the sheets in which she was lying, and mistress as she was of herself, she could not help uttering a cry, seizing the hand of the novice and devouring her with looks. "'What's the
1: matter, good God?'
0: asked the poor woman.
1: "'Have I said anything that has wounded you?' "'No.' but the name struck me, because I also have known that gentleman, and it appeared strange to me to meet with a person who appears to know him well. Oh, yes, very well, not only him, but some of his friends, Messieurs Porthos and Aramis. (Indeed, you know them likewise?) I know
0: them, cried Milady, who began to feel a chill penetrate her heart.
1: (Well! if you know them you know that they are good and free companions why do you not apply to them if you stand in need of help that is to say
0: stammered milady
1: i am not really very intimate with any of them i know them from having heard one of their friends monsieur d'artagnan say a great deal about them you know monsieur d'artagnan
0: cried the novice in her turn seizing the hands of milady and devouring her with her eyes then remarking the strange expression of milady's countenance she said pardon me
1: madame you know him by what title why
0: replied milady embarrassed
1: why by the title of friend you deceive me madam
0: said the novice
1: You have been his mistress. It is you who have been his mistress, madame,
0: cried milady in her turn. I? Said the novice.
1: Yes, you. I know you now. You are madame
0: bonacieux. The young woman drew back, filled with surprise and terror. Oh, do not deny it. Answer, continued milady. Well? "'Yes, madame,' said the novice.
1: "'Are we rivals?'
0: The countenance of milady was illumined by so savage a joy that under any other circumstances, madame Bonacieux would have fled in terror, but she was absorbed by jealousy. "'Speak, madame,' resumed madame Bonacieux with an energy of which she might not have been believed capable.
1: "'Have you been, or are you, his mistress?' Oh, no,
0: cried Milady, with an accent that admitted no doubt of her truth. Never, never. I believe you, said Madame Bonacieux,
1: but why then did you cry out so? Do you not understand?
0: Said Milady, who had already overcome her agitation and recovered her presence of mind.
1: How can I understand? "'I know nothing. "'Can you not understand that "'Monsieur d'Artagnan, being my friend, "'might take me into his confidence?' "'Truly? "'Do you not perceive that I know all? "'Your abduction from the little house "'at Saint-Germain, his despair, "'that of his friends and their useless inquiries "'up to this moment? "'How could I help be astonished when, "'without having the least expectation "'of such a thing, "'I meet you face to face?' "'You, of whom we have so often spoken together, "'you, whom he loves with all his soul, "'you, whom he had taught me to love before I had seen you. "'Ah, dear Constance, I have found you then. "'I see you at last.'
0: "'And milady stretched out her arms to Madame Bonacieux, "'who, convinced by what she had just said, "'saw nothing in this woman whom an instant before "'she had believed her rival, but a sincere and devoted friend.'
1: pardon me pardon me
0: cried she sinking upon the shoulders of milady pardon me i love him so much these two women held each other for an instant in a close embrace certainly if milady's strength had been equal to her hatred madame bonacieux would never have left that embrace alive but not being able to stifle her she smiled upon her oh you beautiful good little creature said milady How
1: delightful i am to have found you let me look at you
0: and while saying these words she absolutely devoured her by her looks
1: oh yes it is you indeed from what he has told me i know you now i recognize you perfectly
0: the poor young woman could not possibly suspect what frightful cruelty was behind the rampart of that pure brow behind those brilliant eyes in which she read nothing but interest and compassion.
1: "'Then you know what I have suffered?'
0: said Madame Bonacieux.
1: "'Since he has told you what he has suffered, but to suffer for him is happiness.'
0: Milady replied mechanically, "'Yes, that is happiness.' She was thinking of something else.
1: "'Ah, then,'
0: continued Madame Bonacieux,
1: my punishment is drawing to a close, to-morrow, this evening perhaps, I shall see him again, and then the past will no longer exist!" "This evening?"
0: asked Milady, roused from her reverie by these words,
1: "What do you mean, do you expect news from him?" "I expect himself!" "Himself, D'Artagnan, here!" himself but that's impossible he is at the siege of la rochelle with the cardinal he will not return till after taking the city ah you fancy so but is there anything impossible for my d'artagnan the noble and loyal gentleman oh i cannot believe you well read then
0: said the unhappy young woman in the excess of her pride and joy presenting a letter to milady the writing of madame de chevreuse said milady to herself
1: ah i always thought there was some secret understanding in that
0: quarter and she greedily read the following few lines my dear child hold yourself ready our friend will see you soon and he will only see you to release you from that imprisonment in which your safety required you should be concealed prepare then for your departure and never despair of us our charming gascon has just proved himself as brave and faithful as ever tell him that certain parties are grateful for the warning he has given yes yes said milady
1: the letter is precise do you know what that warning was no i only suspect he has warned the queen against some fresh machinations of the cardinal
0: yes that's it no doubt said milady returning the letter to madame bonacieux and letting her head sink pensively upon her bosom at that moment they heard the gallop of a horse oh cried madame bonacieux darting to the window can it be he milady remained still in bed petrified by surprise so many unexpected things happened to her all at once that for the first time she was at a loss he he murmured she can it be he and she remained in bed with her eyes fixed alas no said madame Bonacieux. it is a man i don't know although
1: he seems to be coming here yes he checks his pace he stops at the gate he rings
0: milady sprang out of bed you are sure it is not he said she
1: yes yes very sure perhaps you did not see well oh if i were to see the plume of his hat the end of his cloak i should know him
0: milady was dressing herself all the time
1: yes he has entered it is for you or me my god How agitated you seem. Yes, I admit it. I have not your confidence. I fear the cardinal. Hush,
0: said Madame Bonacieux.
1: Somebody is coming.
0: Immediately the door opened and the superior entered. Do you come from Boulogne? demanded she of milady. Yes, replied she, trying to recover her self-possession. Who wants me? A man who will not tell his name, but who comes from the cardinal.
1: And and who wishes to speak with me? Who wishes to speak to a lady recently come from Boulogne? Then let him come in, if you please. Oh, my God, my God,
0: cried Madame Bonacieux.
1: Can it be bad news? I fear it. I will leave you with this stranger but as soon as he is gone if you will permit me i will return
0: permit you i beseech you the superior and madame bonacieux retired milady remained alone with her eyes fixed upon the door an instant later the jingling of spurs was heard upon the stairs steps drew near the door opened and a man appeared milady uttered a cry of joy this man was the comte de rochefort the demoniacal tool of his eminence End of chapter sixty one recording by john Van Stan Savannah, Georgia chapter sixty two of the D'Artagnan Romances, volume one, the Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas translated by William Robson This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Two Varieties of Demons ah cried milady and rochefort together it is you yes it is i
1: and you come
0: asked milady from la rochelle and you from england buckingham
1: dead or desperately wounded as i left without having been able to hear anything of him a fanatic has just assassinated him
0: Ah said Rochefort with a smile. This is a fortunate chance, one that will delight his eminence. Have you informed him of it?
1: I wrote to him from Boulogne, but what brings you here?
0: His eminence was uneasy, and sent me to find you. I only arrived yesterday. And what have you been doing since yesterday? I have
1: not lost my time,
0: oh i don't doubt that
1: do you know whom i have encountered here no Guess.
0: how can i
1: that young woman whom the queen took out of prison
0: the mistress of that fellow d'artagnan
1: yes madame bonacieux with whose retreat the cardinal was unacquainted
0: well well said rochefort Here is a chance which may pair off with the other. Monsieur Cardinal is indeed a privileged man.
1: Imagine my astonishment, continued milady, when I found myself face to face with this woman.
0: Does she know you? No. Then she looks upon you as a stranger? Milady smiled. I am her best friend. Upon my honor said rochefort it takes you my dear countess to perform such miracles
1: and it is well i can chevalier said Milady. for do you know what is going on here no they will come for her tomorrow or the day after with an order from the queen
0: indeed and who
1: d'artagnan and his friends
0: indeed They will go so far that we shall be obliged to send them to the Bastille.
1: Why is it not done already?
0: What would you? The cardinal has a weakness for these men which I cannot comprehend. Indeed? Yes.
1: Well, then tell him this, Rochefort. Tell him that our conversation at the inn of the Red Dovecot was overheard by these four men. Tell him that after his departure one of them came up to me and took from me by violence the safe conduct which he had given me tell him they warned lord de winter of my journey to england that this time they nearly foiled my mission as they foiled the whole affair of the studs tell him that among these four men two only are to be feared d'artagnan and athos tell him that the third aramis is the lover of madame de chevreuse he may be left alone we know his secret And it may be useful as to the fourth porthos he is a fool a simpleton a blustering booby not worth troubling himself about
0: but these four men must now be at the siege of la rochelle
1: i thought so too but a letter which madame bonacieux has received from madame the constable and which she has had the imprudence to show me leads me to believe that these four men on the contrary or on the road hither, to take her away.
0: The devil! What's to be done?
1: What did the cardinal say about me?
0: I was to take your dispatches, written or verbal, and return by post, and when he shall know what you have done, he will advise what you have to do.
1: I must then remain here?
0: Here, or in the neighborhood. You cannot take me with you? No. The order is imperative. Near the camp you might be recognized, and your presence, you must be aware, would compromise the cardinal.
1: Then I must wait
0: here or in the neighborhood. Only tell me beforehand where you will wait for intelligence from the cardinal. Let me know always where to find you.
1: Observe. It is probable that I may not be able to remain here why you forget that my enemies may arrive at any minute
0: that's true but is this little woman then to escape his eminence Bah," said milady with a smile that belonged only to herself
1: you forget that i am her best friend
0: ah that's true i may then tell the cardinal with respect to this little woman
1: that he may be at ease
0: is that all
1: he will know what that means he will guess at least
0: now then what had i better do
1: return instantly it appears to me that the news you bear is worth the trouble of a little diligence
0: my chaise broke down coming into Lilliers. capital what capital yes
1: i want your chaise
0: and how shall i travel then
1: on horseback
0: you talk very comfortably a hundred and eighty leagues
1: what's that
0: one can do it afterward
1: afterward why in passing through Lilliers, you will send me your chaise with an order to your servant to place himself at my disposal well you have no doubt some order from the cardinal about you
0: i have my full power
1: show it to the abbess and tell her that someone will come and fetch me either today or tomorrow and that i am to follow the person who presents himself in your name
0: very well
1: don't forget to treat me harshly in speaking of me to the abbess
0: to what purpose
1: i am a victim of the cardinal It is necessary to inspire confidence in that poor little Madame Bonacieux.
0: That's true. Now, will you make me a report of all that has happened?
1: Why, I have related the events to you. You have a good memory. Repeat what I have told you. A paper may be lost.
0: You are right. Only, let me know where to find you that I may not run needlessly about the neighborhood." that's correct wait do you want a map
1: oh i know this country marvelously
0: you when were you here
1: i was brought up here truly it is worth something you see to have been brought up somewhere
0: you will wait for me then
1: let me reflect a little ah That will do, at Armentier.
0: Where is that Armentier?
1: A little town on the Lys. I shall only have to cross the river, and I shall be in a foreign country.
0: Capital. But is it understood you will only cross the river in case of danger? That is well understood. And in that case, how shall I know where you are?
1: You do not want your lackey? is he a sure man
0: to the proof
1: give him to me nobody knows him i will leave him at the place i quit and he will conduct you to me
0: and you say you will wait for me at armentier at armentier write that name on a bit of paper lest i should forget it there is nothing compromising in the name of a town is it not so eh who knows never mind said milady writing the name on half a sheet of paper i will
1: compromise myself
0: well said rochefort taking the paper from milady folding it and placing it in the lining of his hat you may be easy i will do as children do for fear of losing the paper repeat the name along the route now is that all i believe so let us see buckingham dead or grievously wounded your conversation with the cardinal overheard by the four musketeers lord de winter warned of your arrival at portsmouth d'artagnan and athos to the bastille aramis the lover of madame de chevreuse porthos an ass madame bonacieux found again to send you the chaise as soon as possible to place my lackey at your disposal To make you out a victim of the cardinal, in order that the abbess may entertain no suspicion, Armentiere, on the bank of the Lys. Is that all, then?"
1: "'In truth, my dear chevalier, you are a miracle of memory. Apropos, add one thing." "'What?' "'I saw some very pretty woods, which almost touched the convent garden. Say that I am permitted to walk in those woods. Who knows?' perhaps i shall stand in need of a back door for
0: retreat you think of everything
1: and you forget one thing what to ask me if i want
0: money that's true how much do you want
1: all you have in gold
0: i have five hundred pistoles or thereabouts
1: i have as much with a thousand pistoles one may face everything empty your pockets there right and you go
0: in an hour time to eat a morsel during which i shall send for a post horse capital adieu chevalier adieu countess commend me to the cardinal commend me to satan milady and rochefort exchanged a smile and separated An hour afterward, Rochefort set out at a grand gallop, five hours after that he passed through Arras, our readers already know how he was recognized by d'Artagnan, and how that recognition, by inspiring fear in the four Musketeers, had given fresh activity to their journey. End of chapter sixty two, recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 63 of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 1, The Three Musketeers, by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Drop of Water Rochefort had scarcely departed when Madame Bonacieux re-entered. She found Milady with a smiling countenance.
1: "'Well,'
0: said the young woman,
1: "'what you dreaded has happened.' This evening or to-morrow the cardinal will send someone to take you away.
0: "'Who
1: told you that, my dear?' asked milady. "'I heard it from the mouth of the messenger himself. "'Come and sit down close to me,'
0: said milady.
1: "'Here I am. "'Wait till I assure myself that nobody hears us. "'Why all these precautions?' "'You shall know.'
0: Milady arose, went to the door, opened it, looked in the corridor, and then returned and seated herself close to Madame Bonacieux. Then, said she, he has well played his part. Who has?
1: He who just now presented himself to the abbess as a messenger from the cardinal. It was then a part he was playing? Yes, my child. That man, then was not that man
0: said milady lowering her voice
1: is my brother your brother
0: cried madame bonacieux
1: no one must know this secret my dear but yourself if you reveal it to anyone in the world i shall be lost and perhaps yourself likewise oh my god listen this is what has happened My brother, who was coming to my assistance to take me away by force, if it were necessary, met with the emissary of the cardinal, who was coming in search of me. He followed him. At a solitary and retired part of the road, he drew his sword, and required the messenger to deliver up to him the papers of which he was the bearer. The messenger resisted. My brother killed him. Oh,
0: said Madame Bonacieux, shuddering,
1: Remember, that was the only means, then my brother determined to substitute cunning for force, he took the papers, and presented himself here as the emissary of the cardinal, and in an hour or two a carriage will come to take me away by the orders of his eminence! I understand, it is your brother who sends this carriage? Exactly, but that is not all, that letter you have received, and which you believe to be from Madame de Chevreuse well it is a forgery how can that be yes a forgery it is a snare to prevent your making any resistance when they come to fetch you but it is d'artagnan that will come do not deceive yourself d'artagnan and his friends are detained at the siege of la rochelle how do you know that "'My brother met some emissaries of the cardinal "'in the uniform of musketeers. "'You would have been summoned to the gate. "'You would have believed yourself about to meet friends. "'You would have been abducted and conducted back to Paris.' "'Oh, my God! "'My senses fail me amid such a chaos of iniquities. "'I feel if this continues,'
0: said Madame Bonacieux, "'raising her hands to her forehead,
1: "'I shall go mad. "'Stop.' "'What?' I hear a horse's steps. It is my brother setting off again. I should like to offer him a last salute. Come."
0: Milady opened the window and made a sign to Madame Bonacieux to join her. The young woman complied. Rochefort passed at a gallop. Adieu, brother,' cried Milady. The chevalier raised his head, saw the two young women, and without stopping waved his hand in a friendly way to Milady. "'The good George!' said she closing the window with an expression of countenance full of affection and melancholy and she resumed her seat as if plunged in reflections entirely personal dear lady said madame bonacieux
1: pardon me for interrupting you but what do you advise me to do good heaven you have more experience than i have speak i will listen in the first place
0: said milady
1: "'It is possible I may be deceived, and that d'Artagnan and his friends may really come to your assistance.' "'Oh, that would be too much,' cried Madame Bonacieux. "'So much happiness is not in store for me.' "'Then you comprehend it would be only a question of time, a sort of race which should arrive first. If your friends are the more speedy, you are to be saved. If the satellites of the cardinal, you are lost.' oh yes yes lost beyond redemption what then to do what to do there would be a very simple means very natural tell me what to wait concealed in the neighborhood and assure yourself who are the men who come to ask for you but where can i wait oh there is no difficulty in that I shall stop and conceal myself a few leagues hence until my brother can rejoin me well i take you with me we conceal ourselves and wait together but i shall not be allowed to go i am almost a prisoner as they believe that i go in consequence of an order from the cardinal no one will believe you anxious to follow me well well the carriage is at the door you bid me adieu you mount the step to embrace me a last time my brother's servant who comes to fetch me is told how to proceed he makes a sign to the postillion and we set off at a gallop but d'artagnan d'artagnan if he comes shall we not know it how nothing easier we will send my brother's servant back to bethune whom as i told you we can trust he shall assume a disguise and place himself in front of the convent. If the emissaries of the cardinal arrive, he will take no notice. If it is Monsieur d'Artagnan and his friends, he will bring them to us. He knows them, then? Doubtless. Has he not seen Monsieur d'Artagnan at my house? Oh, yes, yes, you are right. Thus all may go well, all may be for the best, but we do not go far from this place seven or eight leagues at the most we will keep on the frontiers for instance and at the first alarm we can leave france and what can we do there wait but if they come my brother's carriage will be here first if i should happen to be any distance from you when the carriage comes for you at dinner or supper for instance do one thing what is that tell your good superior that in order that we may be as much together as possible you ask her permission to share my repast will she permit it what inconvenience can it be oh delightful in this way we shall not be separated for an instant well go down to her then to make your request i feel my head a little confused i will take a turn in the garden go and where shall i find you here in an hour here in an hour oh you are so kind and i am so grateful how can i avoid interesting myself for one who is so beautiful and so amiable are you not the beloved of one of my best friends dear d'artagnan oh how he will thank you i hope so now then all is agreed let us go down you are going into the garden yes go along this corridor down a little staircase and you are in it excellent thank
0: you and the two women parted exchanging charming smiles milady had told the truth her head was confused for her ill-arranged plans clashed one another like chaos. She required to be alone that she might put her thoughts a little into order. She saw vaguely the future, but she stood in need of a little silence and quiet to give all her ideas, as yet confused, a distinct form and a regular plan. What was most pressing was to get Madame Bonacieux away and convey her to a place of safety, and there, if matters required, make her a hostage." Milady began to have doubts of the issue of this terrible duel, in which her enemies showed as much perseverance as she did animosity. Besides, she felt, as we feel when a storm is coming on, that this issue was near, and could not fail to be terrible. The principal thing for her, then, was, as we have said, to keep Madame Bonacieux in her power. Madame Bonacieux was the very life of D'Artagnan. This was more than his life, the life of the woman he loved. This was, in case of ill fortune, a means of temporizing and obtaining good conditions. Now, this point was settled. Madame Bonacieux, without any suspicion, accompanied her. Once concealed with her at Armentier, it would be easy to make her believe that D'Artagnan had not come to Bethune. In fifteen days, at most, Rochefort would be back. Besides, during that fifteen days she would have time to think how she could best avenge herself on the four friends she would not be weary thank god for she should enjoy the sweetest pastime such events could accord a woman of her character perfecting a beautiful vengeance resolving all this in her mind she cast her eyes around her and arranged the topography of the garden in her head milady was like a good general who contemplates at the same time victory and defeat and who is quite prepared according to the chances of the battle to march forward or to beat a retreat. At the end of an hour she heard a soft voice calling her. It was Madame Bonacieux's. The good abbess had naturally consented to her request, and as a commencement they were to sup together. On reaching the courtyard they heard the noise of a carriage which stopped at the gate. Milady listened. Do you hear anything? said she. Yes,
1: the rolling of a carriage. It is the one my brother sends for us oh my god
0: come come courage the bell of the convent gate was sounded milady was not mistaken go to your chamber said she to madame bonacieux
1: you have perhaps some jewels you would like to take i have his letters said she well go and fetch them and come to my apartment we will snatch some supper We shall perhaps travel part of the night and we must keep up
0: our strength great god said madame bonacieux placing her hand upon her bosom
1: my heart beats so i cannot walk courage courage remember that in a quarter of an hour you will be safe and think that what you are about to do is for his sake yes yes everything for him you have restored my courage by a single word go I will rejoin you."
0: Milady ran up to her apartment quickly. She there found Rochefort's lackey and gave him his instructions. He was to wait at the gate. If by chance the musketeers should appear, the carriage was to set off as fast as possible, pass around the convent and go and wait for Milady at a little village which was situated at the other side of the wood. In this case Milady would cross the garden and gain the village on foot. As we have already said, milady was admirably acquainted with this part of France. If the musketeers did not appear, things were to go on as had been agreed. Madame Bonacieux was to get into the carriage as if to bid her adieu, and she was to take away Madame Bonacieux. Madame Bonacieux came in, and to remove all suspicion, if she had any, milady repeated to the lackey before her the latter part of her instructions. Milady asked some questions about the carriage. It was a chaise drawn by three horses, driven by a postillion. Rochefort's lackey would precede it as courier. Milady was wrong in fearing that Madame Bonacieux would have any suspicion. The poor young woman was too pure to suppose that any female could be guilty of such perfidy. Besides, the name of the Comtesse de Winter, which she had heard the abbess pronounced, was wholly unknown to her, and she was even ignorant that a woman had had so great, and so fatal a share in the misfortune of her life. "'You see,' said she, when the lackey had gone out, "'everything is ready. The abbess suspects nothing and believes that I
1: am taken by order of the cardinal. This man goes to give his last orders. Take the least thing, drink a finger of wine, and let us be gone.'
0: "'Yes,' said Madame Bonacieux mechanically.
1: "'Yes, let us be gone.'
0: Milady made her a sign to sit down opposite, poured her a small glass of Spanish wine, and helped her to the wing of a chicken. "'See,' said she, "'if everything does not second us. Here is night coming
1: on. By daybreak we shall have reached our retreat, and nobody can guess where we are.
0: Come, courage, take something.' Madame Bonacieux ate a few mouthfuls mechanically, and just touched the glass with her lips. "'Come, come.' said milady lifting hers to her mouth do as i do but at the moment the glass touched her lips her hand remained suspended she heard something on the road which sounded like the rattling of a distant gallop then it grew nearer and it seemed to her almost at the same time that she heard the neighing of horses this noise acted upon her joy like the storm which awakens the sleeper in the midst of a happy dream she grew pale and ran to the window while madame bonacieux rising all in a tremble, supported herself upon her chair to avoid falling. Nothing was yet to be seen, only they heard the galloping draw nearer. Oh, my God, said Madame Bonacieux. What is that noise? That of either our friends or our enemies, said Milady with her terrible coolness. Stay where you are, I will tell you. Madame Bonacieux remained standing, mute, motionless, and pale as a statue. The noise became louder. The horses could not be more than a hundred and fifty paces distant. If they were not yet to be seen, it was because the road made an elbow. The noise became so distinct that the horses might be counted by the rattle of their hooves. Milady gazed with all the power of her attention. It was just light enough for her to see who was coming. All at once, at the turning of the road, she saw the glitter of laced hats and the waving of feathers. She counted two, then five then eight horsemen. One of them preceded the rest by double the length of his horse. Milady uttered a stifled groan. In the first horseman she recognized D'Artagnan. Oh, my God, my God, cried Madame Bonacieux. What is it? It is the uniform of the cardinal's guards.
1: Not an instant to be lost. Fly, fly. Yes, yes, let us fly,
0: repeated Madame Bonacieux but without being able to make a step glued as she was to the spot by terror. They heard the horsemen pass under the windows. Come then, come then, cried milady, trying to drag the young woman along by the arm. Thanks to the garden, we yet can flee. I have the key, but make haste. In five minutes it will be too late. Madame Bonacieux tried to walk, made two steps and sank upon her knees. Milady tried to raise and carry her, but could not do it. At this moment they heard the rolling of the carriage, which at the approach of the musketeers set off at a gallop. Then three or four shots were fired. "'For the last time, will you come?' cried milady.
1: "'Oh, my God, my God! You see my strength fails me. You see plainly I cannot walk. Flee alone!' "'Flee alone? And leave you here? No, no, never!'
0: cried milady. All at once she paused, a livid flash darted from her eyes. She ran to the table, emptied into Madame Bonacieux's glass the contents of a ring which she opened with singular quickness. It was a grain of a reddish color which dissolved immediately. Then taking the glass with a firm hand, she said, "'Drink. This wine will give you strength. Drink.' And she put the glass to the lips of the young woman who drank mechanically, this is not the way that i wish to avenge myself said milady replacing the glass upon the table with an infernal smile but my faith we do what we can and she rushed out of the room madame bonacieux saw her go without being able to follow her she was like people who dream they are pursued and who in vain try to walk a few moments passed a great noise was heard at the gate every instant madame bonacieux expected to see milady but she did not return Several times, with terror no doubt, the cold sweat burst from her burning brow. At length she heard the grating of the hinges of the opening gates. The noise of boots and spurs resounded on the stairs. There was a great murmur of voices which continued to draw near, amid which she seemed to hear her own name pronounced. All at once she uttered a loud cry of joy and darted toward the door. She had recognized the voice of D'Artagnan, d'artagnan d'artagnan cried she is it you this way this way constance constance replied the young man where are you where are you my god at the same moment the door of the cell yielded to a shock rather than opened several men rushed into the chamber Madame bonacieux had sunk into an armchair without the power of moving d'artagnan threw down a yet smoking pistol which he held in his hand and fell on his knees before his mistress athos replaced his in his belt porthos and aramis who held their drawn swords in their hands returned them to their scabbards
1: oh d'artagnan my beloved d'artagnan you have come then at last you have not deceived me it is indeed thee yes yes constance reunited Oh it was in vain she told me you would not come i hoped in silence i was not willing to fly oh i have done well how happy i am
0: at this word she athos who had seated himself quietly started up she what she asked d'artagnan why my
1: companion she who out of friendship for me wished to take me from my persecutors, she
0: who, mistaking you for the cardinal's guards, has just fled away. Your companion, cried D'Artagnan, becoming more pale than the white veil of his mistress. Of what companion are you speaking, dear Constance?
1: Of her whose carriage was at the gate, of a woman who calls herself your friend, of a woman to whom you have told everything
0: her name her name cried d'artagnan my god can you not remember her name yes it was pronounced in my hearing
1: once Uh, stop but it is very strange oh my god my head swims i cannot see help help my friends her hands are icy
0: cold cried d'artagnan she is ill great god she is losing her senses while porthos was calling for help with all the power of his strong voice aramis ran to the table to get a glass of water but he stopped at seeing the horrible alteration that had taken place in the countenance of athos who standing before the table his hair rising from his head his eyes fixed in stupor was looking at one of the glasses and appeared a prey to the most horrible doubt oh said athos oh no It is impossible. God would not permit such a crime. Water, water, cried D'Artagnan. Water. Oh, poor woman, poor woman, murmured Athos in a broken voice. Madame Bonacieux opened her eyes under the kisses of D'Artagnan. She revives, cried the young man. Oh, my God,
1: my God, I thank thee.
0: Madame said athos madame in the name of heaven whose empty glass is this mine monsieur said the young woman in a dying voice but who poured the wine for you that was in this glass she but who is she oh i remember said madame bonacieux
1: the comtesse de winter
0: The four friends uttered one and the same cry, but that of Athos dominated all the rest. At that moment, the countenance of Madame Bonacieux became livid. A fearful agony pervaded her frame, and she sank panting into arms of Porthos and Aramis. D'Artagnan seized the hands of Athos with an anguish difficult to be described. "'And what do you believe?' His voice was stifled by sobs. "'I believe,' everything said athos biting his lips till the blood sprang to avoid sighing d'artagnan d'artagnan cried Madame bonacieux
1: where art thou do not leave me you see i am dying
0: d'artagnan released the hands of athos which he still held clasped in both his own and hastened to her her beautiful face was distorted with agony her glassy eyes had no longer their sight a convulsive shuddering shook her whole body the sweat rolled from her brow
1: in the name of heaven run call aramis porthos call for help
0: useless said athos useless for the poison which she pours there is no antidote
1: yes yes help
0: help murmured Madame Bonacieux. Help! Then, collecting all her strength, she took the head of the young man between her hands, looked at him for an instant as if her whole soul passed into that look, and with a sobbing cry pressed her lips to his. Constance! Constance! cried D'Artagnan. A sigh escaped from the mouth of Madame Bonacieux and dwelt for an instant on the lips of D'Artagnan, That sigh was the soul, so chaste and so loving, which reascended to heaven. D'Artagnan pressed nothing but a corpse in his arms. The young man uttered a cry, and fell by the side of his mistress as pale and as icy as herself. Porthos wept. Aramis pointed toward heaven. Athos made the sign of the cross. At that moment a man appeared in the doorway almost as pale as those in the chamber, He looked around him and saw madame bonacieux dead and d'artagnan in a swoon he appeared just at that moment of stupor which follows great catastrophes i was not deceived said he here is monsieur d'artagnan and you are his friends messieurs athos porthos and aramis the persons whose names were thus pronounced looked at the stranger with astonishment It seemed to all three that they knew him. "'Gentlemen,' resumed the newcomer, "'you are as I am, in search of a woman who,' added he with a terrible smile, "'must have passed this way, for I see a corpse.' The three friends remained mute, for although the voice as well as the countenance reminded them of someone they had seen, they could not remember under what circumstances. "'Gentlemen?' "'continued the stranger. "'Since you do not recognize a man "'who probably owes his life to you twice, "'I must name myself. "'I am Lord de Winter, "'brother-in-law of that woman.' "'The three friends uttered a cry of surprise. "'Athos rose and, offering him his hand, "'Be welcome, my lord,' said he. "'You are one of us.' "'I set out five hours after her from Portsmouth,' "'said Lord de Winter.' I arrived three hours after her at Boulogne. I missed her by 20 minutes at St. Omer. Finally, at Lilliers, I lost all trace of her. I was going about at random inquiring of everybody when I saw you gallop past. I recognized Monsieur d'Artagnan. I called to you, but you did not answer me. I wished to follow you, but my horse was too much fatigued to go at the same pace with yours. And yet it appears in spite of all your diligence, you have arrived too late. You see, said Athos, pointing to Madame Bonacieux, dead, and to D'Artagnan, whom Porthos and Aramis were trying to recall to life. Are they both dead? asked Lord de Winter sternly. No, replied Athos. Fortunately, Monsieur D'Artagnan has only fainted. Ah, "'Indeed, so much the better,' said Lord de Winter. At that moment D'Artagnan opened his eyes. He tore himself from the arms of Porthos and Aramis and threw himself like a madman on the corpse of his mistress. Athos rose, walked toward his friend with a slow and solemn step, embraced him tenderly, and as he burst into violent sobs, he said to him with his noble and persuasive voice, "'Friend, be a man.' women weep for the dead men avenge them oh yes cried d'artagnan yes if it be to avenge her i am ready to follow you athos profited by this moment of strength which the hope of vengeance restored to his unfortunate friend to make a sign to porthos and aramis to go and fetch the superior the two friends met her in the corridor Greatly troubled and much upset by such strange events, she called some of the nuns who, against all monastic custom, found themselves in the presence of five men. Madame, said Athos, passing his arm under that of D'Artagnan, we abandon to your pious care the body of that unfortunate woman. She was an angel on earth before being an angel in heaven. Treat her as one of your sisters. We will return some day to pray over her grave. D'Artagnan concealed his face in the bosom of Athos, and sobbed aloud. Weep, said Athos. Weep, heart full of love, youth, and life. Alas, would I could weep like you. And he drew away his friend, as affectionate as a father, as consoling as a priest, noble as a man who has suffered much all five followed by their lackeys leading their horses took their way to the town of bethune whose outskirts they perceived and stopped before the first inn they came to but said d'artagnan shall we not pursue that woman later said athos i have measures to take she will escape us replied the young man she will escape us and it will be your fault athos "'I will be accountable for her,' said Athos. D'Artagnan had so much confidence in the word of his friend that he lowered his head and entered the inn without reply. Porthos and Aramis regarded each other, not understanding this assurance of Athos. Lord de Winter believed he spoke in this manner to soothe the grief of D'Artagnan. "'Now, gentlemen,' said Athos, when he had ascertained there were five chambers free in the hotel, "'let everyone retire to his own apartment,' D'Artagnan needs to be alone, to weep and to sleep. I take charge of everything. Be easy. It appears, however, said Lord de Winter, if there are any measures to take against the countess, it concerns me. She is my sister-in-law. And me, said Athos, she is my wife d'artagnan smiled for he understood that athos was sure of his vengeance when he revealed such a secret porthos and aramis looked at each other and grew pale lord de winter thought athos was mad now retire to your chambers said athos and leave me to act you must perceive that in my quality of a husband this concerns me only d'artagnan if you have not lost it give me the paper which fell from that man's hat "'upon which is written the name of the village of—' "'Ah,' said D'Artagnan, "'I comprehend
1: that name written in her hand.'
0: "'You see, then,' said Athos, "'there is a God in heaven still.'" End of chapter 63 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia chapter sixty-four of the d'artagnan romances volume one the three musketeers by alexandre dumas translated by william robson this libravox recording is in the public domain the man in the red cloak the despair of athos had given place to a concentrated grief which only rendered more lucid the brilliant mental faculties of that extraordinary man possessed by one single thought that of the promise he had made and of the responsibility he had taken he retired last to his chamber begged the host to procure him a map of the province bent over it examined every line traced upon it perceived that there were four different roads from bethune to armentiera and summoned the lackeys planchet grimaud bazin and mousqueton presented themselves and received clear positive and serious orders from athos they must set out the next morning at daybreak, and go to Armentiera, each by a different route. Planchet, the most intelligent of the four, was to follow that by which the carriage had gone upon which the four friends had fired, and which was accompanied, as may be remembered, by Rochefort's servant. Athos set the lackeys to work first, because, since these men had been in the service of himself and his friends, he had discovered in each of them different and essential qualities, then lackeys who ask questions inspire less mistrust than masters and meet with more sympathy among those to whom they address themselves besides milady knew the masters and did not know the lackeys on the contrary the lackeys knew milady perfectly all four were to meet the next day at eleven o'clock if they had discovered milady's retreat three were to remain on guard The fourth was to return to Bethune in order to inform Athos and serve as a guide to the four friends. These arrangements made the lackeys retired. Athos then rose from his chair, girded on his sword, enveloped himself in his cloak, and left the hotel. It was nearly ten o'clock. At ten o'clock in the evening, it is well known, the streets in provincial towns are very little frequented. Athos nevertheless was visibly anxious to find someone of whom he could ask a question, At length he met a belated passenger, went up to him, and spoke a few words to him. The man he addressed recoiled with terror, and only answered the few words of the musketeer by pointing. Athos offered the man half a pistole to accompany him, but the man refused. Athos then plunged into the street, the man had indicated with his finger, but arriving at four crossroads he stopped again, visibly embarrassed. Nevertheless, as the crossroads offered him a better chance than any other place of meeting somebody, he stood still. In a few minutes a night watch passed. Athos repeated to him the same question he had asked the first person he met. The night watch, evinced the same terror, refused in his turn to accompany Athos, and only pointed with his hand to the road he was to take. Athos walked in the direction indicated, and reached the suburb situated at the opposite extremity of the city from that by which he and his friends had entered it. There he again appeared uneasy and embarrassed, and stopped for the third time. Fortunately, a mendicant passed, who, coming up to Athos to ask charity, Athos offered him half a crown to accompany him where he was going. The mendicant hesitated at first, but at the sight of the piece of silver which shone in the darkness, he consented and walked on before Athos. Arrived at the angle of a street, He pointed to a small house, isolated, solitary, and dismal. Athos went toward the house, while the mendicant, who had received his reward, left as fast as his legs could carry him. Athos went round the house, before he could distinguish the door, amid the red color in which the house was painted. No light appeared through the chinks of the shutters. No noise gave reason to believe that it was inhabited. It was dark and silent as the tomb. Three times Athos knocked without receiving an answer. At the third knock, however, steps were heard inside. The door at length was opened and a man appeared of high stature, pale complexion, and black hair and beard. Athos and he exchanged some words in a low voice. Then the tall man made a sign to the musketeer that he might come in. Athos immediately profited by the permission and the door was closed behind him. The man whom Athos had come so far to seek, and whom he had found with so much trouble, introduced him into his laboratory, where he was engaged in fastening together with iron wire the dry bones of a skeleton. All the frame was adjusted except the head which lay on the table. All the rest of the furniture indicated that the dweller in this house occupied himself with the study of natural science. There were large bottles filled with serpents, ticketed according to their species. Dried lizards shone like emeralds set in great squares of black wood, and bunches of wild odoriferous herbs, doubtless possessed of virtues unknown to common men, were fastened to the ceiling and hung down in the corners of the apartment. There was no family, no servant. The tall man alone inhabited this house." Athos cast a cold and indifferent glance upon the objects we have described, and at the invitation of him whom he came to seek sat down near him. Then he explained to him the cause of his visit, and the service he required of him. But scarcely had he expressed his request when the unknown, who remained standing before the musketeer, drew back with signs of terror and refused. Then Athos took from his pocket a small paper, on which two lines were written accompanied by a signature and a seal and presented them to him who had made too prematurely these signs of repugnance the tall man had scarcely read these lines seen the signature and recognized the seal when he bowed to denote that he had no longer any objection to make and that he was ready to obey athos required no more he arose bowed went out returned by the same way he came re-entered the hotel and went to his apartment. At daybreak, D'Artagnan entered the chamber and demanded what was to be done. To wait, replied Athos. Some minutes after, the superior of the convent sent to inform the musketeers that the burial would take place at midday. As to the poisoner, they had heard no tidings of her whatever, only that she must have made her escape through the garden on the sand of which her footsteps could be traced, and the door of which had been found shut. As to the key, it had disappeared. At the hour appointed, Lord de Winter and the four friends repaired to the convent. The bells tolled, the chapel was open, the grating of the choir was closed. In the middle of the choir, the body of the victim, clothed in her novitiate dress, was exposed. On each side of the choir, and behind the gratings opening to the convent, was assembled the whole community of the Carmelites, who listened to the divine service and mingled their chant with the chant of priests without seeing the profane or being seen by them. At the door of the chapel, D'Artagnan felt his courage fall anew and returned to look for Athos, but Athos had disappeared. Faithful to his mission of vengeance, Athos had requested to be conducted to the garden, and there upon the sand, following the light steps of this woman, who left sharp tracks wherever she went, He advanced toward the gate which led into the wood, and causing it to be opened, he went out into the forest. Then all his suspicions were confirmed. The road by which the carriage had disappeared encircled the forest. Athos followed the road for some time, his eyes fixed upon the ground. Slight stains of blood, which came from the wound inflicted upon the man who accompanied the carriage as a courier, or from one of the horses, dotted the road, at the end of three-quarters of a league within fifty paces of festebert a larger blood-stain appeared the ground was trampled by horses between the forest and this accursed spot a little behind the trampled ground was the same track of small feet as in the garden the carriage had stopped here at this spot milady had come out of the wood and entered the carriage satisfied with this discovery which confirmed all his suspicions athos returned to the hotel and found planchet impatiently waiting for him everything was as athos had foreseen planchet had followed the road like athos he had discovered the stains of blood like athos he had noted the spot where the horses had halted but he had gone farther than athos for at the village of festebert while drinking at an inn he had learned without needing to ask a question that the evening before at half past eight a wounded man who accompanied a lady traveling in a post-chaise had been obliged to stop, unable to go further. The accident was set down to the account of robbers who had stopped the chaise in the wood. The man remained in the village. The woman had had a relay of horses and continued her journey. Planchet went in search of the postilion who had driven her and found him. He had taken the lady as far as Fromella, and from Fromella she had set out for Armentillera. "'Planchet took the crossroad, and by seven o'clock in the morning he was at Armentiera. "'There was but one tavern, the post. "'Planchet went and presented himself as a lackey out of a place, "'who was in search of a situation. "'He had not chatted ten minutes with the people of the tavern "'before he learned that a woman had come there alone about eleven o'clock the night before, "'had engaged a chamber, had sent for the master of the hotel, "'and told him she desired to remain some time in the neighborhood.' Planchet had no need to learn more. He hastened to the rendezvous, found the lackeys at their posts, placed them as sentinels at all the outlets of the hotel, and came to find Athos, who had just received this information when his friends returned. All their countenances were melancholy and gloomy, even the mild countenance of Aramis. "'What is to be done?' asked D'Artagnan. "'To wait,' replied Athos. Each retired to his own apartment." At eight o'clock in the evening, Athos ordered the horses to be saddled, and Lord de Winter and his friends notified that they must prepare for the expedition. In an instant, all five were ready. Each examined his arms and put them in order. Athos came down last, and found D'Artagnan already on horseback and growing impatient. "'Patience!' cried Athos. "'One of our party is still wanting.' The four horsemen looked round them with astonishment, for they sought vainly in their minds to know who this other person could be. At this moment Planchet brought out Athos's horse. The musketeer leaped lightly into the saddle. "'Wait for me,' cried he. "'I will soon be back.' And he set off at a gallop. In a quarter of an hour he returned, accompanied by a tall man, masked and wrapped in a large red cloak." lord de winter and the three musketeers looked at one another inquiringly neither could give the others any information for all were ignorant who this man could be nevertheless they felt convinced that all was as it should be as it was done by the order of athos at nine o'clock guided by planchet the little cavalcade set out taking the route the carriage had taken it was a melancholy sight that of these six men traveling in silence each plunged in his own thoughts, sad as despair, gloomy as chastisement End of chapter sixty four Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. chapter sixty-five of the d'artagnan romances volume one the three musketeers by alexander dumas translated by william robson this librivox recording is in the public domain trial it was a stormy and dark night vast clouds covered the heavens concealing the stars the moon would not rise till midnight occasionally by the light of a flash of lightning which gleamed along the horizon The road stretched itself out before them, white and solitary. The flash extinct. All remained in darkness. Every minute Athos was forced to restrain D'Artagnan, constantly in advance of the little troop, and to beg him to keep in the line, which in an instant he again departed from. He had but one thought. to go forward. And he went. They passed in silence through the little village of Festubert where the wounded servant was, and then skirted the wood of Richebourg, at Hellier Planchet, who led the column turned to the left. Several times Lord de Winter, Porthos, or Aramis tried to talk with the man in the red cloak, but to every interrogation which they put to him he bowed without response. The travelers then comprehended that there must be some reason why the unknown preserved such a silence, and ceased to address themselves to him. The storm increased, the flashes succeeded one another more rapidly, the thunder began to growl, and the wind, the precursor of a hurricane, whistled in the plumes and the hair of the horsemen. The cavalcade trotted on more sharply. A little before they came to Fromelles. the storm burst. They spread their cloaks. There remained three leagues to travel, and they did it amid torrents of rain. D'Artagnan took off his hat and could not be persuaded to make use of his cloak, he found pleasure in feeling the water trickle over his burning brow and over his body, agitated by feverish shudders. The moment the little troop passed Gascal and were approaching the post, a man sheltered beneath a tree detached himself from the trunk with which he had been confounded in the darkness, and advanced into the middle of the road, putting his finger to his lips. Athos recognized Grimaud, What's the matter, cried Athos? Has she left Armentiera?' Grimaud made a sign in the affirmative. D'Artagnan ground his teeth, silence d'Artagnan said Athos. I have charged myself with this affair. It is for me then to interrogate Grimaud. Where is she? asked Athos. Grimaud extended his hands in the direction of the lease. Far from here, asked Athos. Grimaud showed his master his forefinger bent. Alone? asked Athos. Grimaud made the sign yes. Gentlemen, said Athos, she is alone within half a league of us in the direction of the river. That's well, said D'Artagnan. Lead us, Grimaud. Grimaud took his course across the country and acted as guide to the cavalcade. At the end of five hundred paces, more or less, they came to a rivulet which they fjorded by the aid of the lightning. They perceived the village of Erkenheim. Is she there? Grimaud asked Athos Grimaud shook his head negatively. Silence then cried Athos, and the troop continued their route. Another flash illuminated all around them. Grimaud extended his arm, and by the bluish splendor of the fiery serpent they distinguished a little isolated house on the banks of the river within a hundred paces of a ferry. One window was alighted. "'Here we are,' said Athos. At this moment a man, who had been crouching in a ditch, jumped up and came toward them. It was Mousqueton. He pointed his finger to the lighted window. "'She is there!' said he and Bazin, asked athos while i watched the window he guarded the door good said athos you are good and faithful servants athos sprang from his horse gave the bridle to grimaud and advanced toward the window after having made a sign to the rest of the troop to go toward the door the little house was surrounded by a low quick set hedge two or three feet high Athos sprang over the hedge and went up to the window, which was without shutters, but had the half-curtains closely drawn. He mounted the skirting stone that his eyes might look over the curtain. By the light of a lamp he saw a woman, wrapped in a dark mantle, seated upon a stool near a dying fire. Her elbows were placed upon a mean table, and she leaned her head upon her two hands, which were white as ivory. He could not distinguish her countenance, but a sinister smile passed over the lips of Athos. He was not deceived. It was she whom he sought. At this moment a horse neighed. Milady raised her head, saw close to the panes the pale face of Athos, and screamed. Athos perceiving that she knew him pushed the window with his knee in hand. The window yielded, the squares were broken to shivers and athos like the specter of vengeance leaped into the room milady rushed to the door and opened it more pale and menacing than athos d'artagnan stood on the threshold milady recoiled uttering a cry d'artagnan believing she might have means of flight and fearing she should escape drew a pistol from his belt but athos raised his hand put back that weapon d'artagnan said he this woman must be tried not assassinated wait an instant my friend and you shall be satisfied come in gentlemen d'artagnan obeyed for athos had the solemn voice and the powerful gesture of a judge sent by the lord himself behind d'artagnan entered porthos aramis lord de winter and the man in the red cloak the four lackeys guarded the door and the window milady had sunk into a chair with her hands extended as if to conjure this terrible apparition. Perceiving her brother-in-law, she uttered a terrible cry. "'What do you want?' screamed Milady. "'We want,' said Athos, "'Charlotte Baxon, who first was called Comtesse de la Ferre, and afterwards Milady de Winter, Baroness of Sheffield.' "'That is I, that is I,' murmured Milady in extreme terror what do you want we wish to judge you according to your crime said athos you shall be free to defend yourself justify yourself if you can monsieur d'artagnan it is for you to accuse her first d'artagnan advanced before god and before men said he i accuse this woman of having poisoned constance bonacieux who died yesterday evening He turned toward Porthos and Aramis. "'We bear witness to this,' said the two musketeers with one voice. D'Artagnan continued, "'Before God and before men, I accuse this woman of having attempted to poison me in wine which she sent me from Villeroy, with a forged letter, as if that wine came from my friends. God preserved me.' But a man named brisemont died in my place we bear witness to this said porthos and aramis in the same manner as before before god and before men i accuse this woman of having urged me to the murder of the baron de ward but as no one else can attest the truth of this accusation i attest it myself i have done and d'Artagnan passed to the other side of the room with porthos and aramis your turn my lord said athos the baron came forward before god and before men said he i accuse this woman of having caused the assassination of the duke of buckingham the duke of buckingham assassinated cried all present with one voice "'Yes,' said the baron, "'assassinated. "'On receiving the warning letter you wrote to me, "'I had this woman arrested and gave her in charge to a loyal servant. "'She corrupted
1: this man. "'She placed the poniard in his hand. "'She made him kill the duke, "'and at this moment, perhaps, Felton
0: is paying with his head "'for the crime of this fury.' A shudder crept through the judges at the revelation of these unknown crimes. "'That is not all,' resumed Lord de Winter. "'My brother, who made you his heir, died in three hours
1: of a strange disorder which left vivid traces all over the body. My sister, how did your husband die?'
0: "'Horror!' cried Porthos and Aramis assassin of buckingham assassin of felton assassin of my brother i demand justice upon you and i swear that if it be not granted to me i will execute it myself and lord de winter ranged himself by the side of d'artagnan leaving the place free for another accuser milady let her head sink between her two hands and tried to recall her ideas whirling in a mortal vertigo my turn said athos himself trembling as the lion trembles at the sight of the serpent my turn I married that woman when she was a young girl I married her in opposition to the wishes of all my family I gave her my wealth I gave her my name and one day I discovered that this woman was branded this woman was marked with a fleur-de-lis on her left shoulder oh said milady raising herself
1: i defy you to find any tribunal which pronounced that infamous sentence against me i defy you to find him who executed it
0: silence said a hollow voice it is for me to reply to that and the man in the red cloak came forward in his turn
1: what man is that what man is that
0: cried milady suffocated by terror her hair loosening itself and rising above her livid countenance as if alive all eyes were turned toward this man for to all except athos he was unknown even athos looked at him with as much stupefaction as the others for he knew not how he could in any way find himself mixed up with the horrible drama then unfolded after approaching milady with a slow and solemn step so that the table alone separated them the unknown took off his mask milady for some time examined with increasing terror that pale face framed with black hair and whiskers the only expression of which was icy impassibility. Then she suddenly cried, Oh, no, no, rising and retreating to the very wall. No, no,
1: it is an infernal apparition. It is not he. Help, help,
0: screamed she, turning toward the wall as if she would tear an opening with her hands. Who are you then? cried all the witnesses of this scene. Ask that woman, said the man in the red cloak. For you may plainly see, she knows me.
1: The executioner of Lille, the executioner of Lille,
0: cried Milady, a prey to insensate terror, and clinging with her hands to the wall to avoid falling, everyone drew back and the man in the red cloak remained standing alone in the middle of the room oh grace grace pardon cried the wretch falling on her knees the unknown waited for silence and then resumed i told you well that she would know me yes i am the executioner of lille and this is my history all eyes were fixed upon this man whose words were listened to with anxious attention. That woman was once a young girl, as beautiful as she is to-day. She was a nun in the convent of the Benedictines of Temple Mar. A young priest, with a simple and trustful heart, performed the duties of the church of that convent. She undertook his seduction, and succeeded. She would have seduced a saint." their vows were sacred and irrevocable their connection could not last long without ruining both she prevailed upon him to leave the country but to leave the country to fly together to reach another part of france where they might live at ease because unknown money was necessary neither had any the priest stole the sacred vases and sold them but as they were preparing to escape together, they were both arrested. Eight days later, she had seduced the son of the jailer and escaped. The young priest was condemned to ten years of imprisonment and to be branded. I was executioner of the city of Lille, as this woman had said. I was obliged to brand the guilty one, and he, gentleman, was my brother." I then swore that this woman who had ruined him, who was more than his accomplice since she had urged him to the crime, should at least share his punishment. I suspected where she was concealed. I followed her. I caught her. I bound her. And I imprinted the same disgraceful mark upon her that I had imprinted upon my poor brother. The day after my return to Lille, my brother in his turn succeeded in making his escape. I was accused of complicity, and was condemned to remain in his place till he should be again a prisoner. My poor brother was ignorant of this sentence. He rejoined this woman. They fled together into Barry, and there he obtained a little courtesy. This woman passed for his sister.' the lord of the estate on which the chapel of the curacy was situated saw this pretend sister and became enamored of her amorous to such a degree that he proposed to marry her then she quitted him she had ruined for him she was destined to ruin and became the comtesse de la fere all eyes were turned toward athos whose real name that was and who made a sign with his head that all was true which the executioner had said. Then, resumed he, mad, desperate, determined to get rid of an existence from which he had stolen everything, honor and happiness, my poor brother returned to Lille, and learning the sentence which had condemned me in his place, surrendered himself, and hanged himself that same night, "'from the iron bar of the loophole of his prison. "'To do justice to them who had condemned me, "'they kept their word. "'As soon as the identity of my brother was proved, "'I was set at liberty. "'That is the crime of which I accuse her. "'That is the cause for which she was branded.' "'Monsieur d'Artagnan,' said Athos, What is the penalty you demand against this woman? The punishment of death, replied d'Artagnan. My lord de Winter, continued Athos, what is the penalty you demand against this woman? The punishment of death, replied lord de Winter. Messieurs Porthos and Aramis, repeated Athos, you who are her judges... What is the sentence you pronounce upon this woman?" "'The punishment of death,' replied the musketeers, in a hollow voice. Milady uttered a frightful shriek, and dragged herself along several paces upon her knees toward her judges. Athos stretched out his hand toward her. "'Charlotte Baxon, Comtesse de la Fere, Milady de Winter,' said he, "'your crimes have wearied men on earth and god in heaven if you know a prayer say it for you are condemned and you shall die at these words which left no hope milady raised herself in all her pride and wished to speak but her strength failed her she felt that a powerful and implacable hand seized her by the hair and dragged her away as irrevocably as fatality drags humanity she did not therefore even attempt the least resistance, and went out of the cottage, Lord de Winter, d'Artagnan, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis went out close behind her. The lackeys followed their masters, and the chamber was left solitary with its broken window, its open door, and its smoky lamp burning sadly on the table End of chapter sixty five Recording by John Van. Stan savannah georgia chapter sixty-six of the d'artagnan romances volume one the three musketeers by alexandre dumas translated by william robson this librivox recording is in the public domain execution it was near midnight the moon lessened by its decline and reddened by the last traces of the storm arose behind the little town of Armentiera, which showed against its pale light the dark outline of its houses, and the skeleton of its high belfry. In front of them the lee rolled its waters like a river of molten tin, while on the other side was a black mass of trees, profiled on a stormy sky, invaded by large coppery clouds which created a sort of twilight amid the night on the left was an old abandoned mill with its motionless wings from the ruins of which an owl threw out its shrill periodical and monotonous cry on the right and on the left of the road which the dismal procession pursued appeared a few low stunted trees which looked like deformed dwarfs crouching down to watch men traveling at this sinister hour from time to time A broad sheet of lightning opened the horizon in its whole width, darted like a serpent over the black mass of trees, and like a terrible scimitar divided the heavens and the waters into two parts. Not a breath of wind now disturbed the heavy atmosphere. A deathlike silence suppressed all nature. The soil was humid and glittering with the rain which had recently fallen. And the refreshed herbs sent forth their perfume with additional energy two lackeys dragged milady whom each held by one arm the executioner walked behind them and lord de winter d'artagnan porthos and aramis walked behind the executioner planchet and bazin came last the two lackeys conducted milady to the bank of the river her mouth was mute but her eyes spoke with their inexpressible eloquence supplicating by turns each of those on whom she looked being a few paces in advance she whispered to the lackeys a thousand pistoles to each of you if you will assist my escape but if you
1: deliver me up to your masters i have near at hand avengers who will make you pay dearly for my death
0: grimaud hesitated Mousqueton trembled in all his members Athos, who heard Milady's voice, came sharply up. Lord de Winter did the same. Change these lackeys, said he. She has spoken to them. They are no longer sure. Planchet and Bazin were called and took the places of Grimaud and Mousqueton. On the bank of the river the executioner approached Milady and bound her hands and feet. Then she broke the silence to cry out,
1: you are cowards miserable assassins ten men combined to murder one woman beware if i am not saved i shall be avenged
0: you are not a woman said athos coldly and sternly you do not belong to the human species you are a demon escaped from hell whither we send you back again
1: ah you virtuous men
0: said milady
1: "please to remember that he who shall touch a hair of my head is himself an assassin
0: the executioner may kill without being on that account an assassin said the man in the red cloak rapping upon his immense sword this is the last judge that is all Nachrichta as say our neighbors the germans and as he bound her while saying these words milady uttered two or three savage cries which produced a strange and melancholy effect in flying away into the night and losing themselves in the depths of the woods
1: if i am guilty if i have committed the crimes you accuse me of
0: shrieked milady
1: take me before a tribunal you are not
0: judges you cannot condemn me i offered you tyburn said lord de winter why did you not accept it because i am not willing to die cried milady struggling because i am too young to die the woman you poisoned at bethune was still younger than you madame "'And yet she is dead,' said D'Artagnan. "'I will enter a cloister. "'I will become a nun,' said Milady. "'You were in a cloister,' said the executioner, "'and you left it to ruin my brother.' "'Milady uttered a cry of terror and sank upon her knees. "'The executioner took her up in his arms "'and was carrying her toward the boat. "'My God!' cried she my god are you going to drown me these cries had something so heart-rending in them that Monsieur d'artagnan who had been at first the most eager in pursuit of milady sat down on the stump of a tree and hung his head covering his ears with the palms of his hands and yet notwithstanding he could still hear her cry and threaten d'artagnan was the youngest of all these men his heart failed him Oh! I cannot behold this frightful spectacle, said he. I cannot consent that this woman should die thus. Milady heard these few words and caught at a shadow of hope. D'Artagnan, D'Artagnan, cried she, remember that I loved you. The young man rose and took a step toward her. But Athos rose likewise, drew his sword, and placed himself in the way if you take one step farther d'artagnan said he we shall cross swords together d'artagnan sank on his knees and prayed come continued athos executioner do your duty willingly monseigneur said the executioner for as i am a good catholic i firmly believe i am acting justly in performing my functions on this woman." "'That's well,' Athos made a step toward milady. "'I pardon you,' said he, "'the ill you have done me. I pardon you for my blasted future, my lost honor, my defiled love, and my salvation forever compromised by the despair into which you have cast me. Die in peace.' Lord de Winter advanced in his turn. I pardon you, said he, for the poisoning of my brother and the assassination of his grace, Lord Buckingham. I pardon you for the death of poor Felton. I pardon you for the attempts upon my own person. Die in peace." And I, said Monsieur d'Artagnan, pardon me, madame, for having by a trick unworthy of a gentleman provoked your anger and i in exchange pardon you the murder of my poor love and your cruel vengeance against me i pardon you and i weep for you die in peace i am lost murmured milady in english
1: i must die
0: then she arose of herself and cast around her one of those piercing looks which seemed to dart from an eye of flame she saw nothing she listened and she heard nothing
1: where am i to die
0: said she on the other bank replied the executioner then he placed her in the boat and as he was going to set foot in it himself athos handed him a sum of silver here said he is the price of the execution that it may be plain we act as judges that is correct said the executioner and now in her turn let this woman see that i am not fulfilling my trade but my debt and he threw the money into the river the boat moved off toward the left-hand shore of the lee bearing the guilty woman and the executioner all the others remained on the right-hand bank where they fell on their knees the boat glided along the ferry rope under the shadow of a pale cloud which hung over the water at that moment the troop of friends saw it gain the opposite bank the figures were defined like black shadows on the red-tinted horizon milady during the passage had contrived to untie the cord which fastened her feet on coming near the bank she jumped lightly on the shore and took to flight but the soil was moist on reaching the top of the bank she slipped and fell upon her knees she was struck no doubt with a superstitious idea she conceived that heaven denied its aid and she remained in the attitude in which she had fallen her head drooping and her hands clasped then they saw from the other bank the executioner raise both his arms slowly a moonbeam fell upon the blade of the large sword the two arms fell with a sudden force they heard the hissing of the scimitar and the cry of the victim then a truncated mass sank beneath the blow the executioner then took off his red cloak spread it upon the ground laid the body in it threw in the head tied all up by the four corners lifted it on his back, and entered the boat again. In the middle of the stream he stopped the boat, and suspending his burden over the water, cried in a loud voice, "Let the justice of God be done!" And he let the corpse drop into the depths of the waters, which closed over it. Three days afterward the four musketeers were in Paris; they had not exceeded their leave of absence and that same evening they went to pay their customary visit to Monsieur de Treville. "'Well, gentlemen,' said the brave captain, "'I hope you have been well amused during your excursion.' "'Prodigiously,' replied Athos, in the name of himself and his comrades. End of chapter 66 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter sixty seven of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume one, The Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas Translated by William Robson This LibriVox recording is in the public domain CONCLUSION On the sixth of the following month the king, in compliance with the promise he had made the cardinal to return to La Rochelle, left his capital still in amazement at the news which began to spread itself of Buckingham's assassination; although warned that the man she had loved so much was in great danger the queen when his death was announced to her would not believe the fact and even imprudently exclaimed it is false he has just written to me but the next day she was obliged to believe this fatal intelligence laporte detained in england as everyone else had been by the orders of charles i arrived and was the bearer of the duke's dying gift to the queen the joy of the king was lively he did not even give himself the trouble to dissemble and displayed it with affectation before the queen louis the thirteenth like every weak mind was wanting in generosity but the king soon again became dull and indisposed his brow was not one of those that long remained clear he felt that in returning to camp he should re-enter slavery nevertheless he did return The cardinal was for him the fascinating serpent, and himself the bird which flies from branch to branch without power to escape. The return to La Rochelle, therefore, was profoundly dull. Our four friends, in particular, astonished their comrades. They traveled together side by side, with sad eyes and heads lowered. Athos alone from time to time raised his expansive brow, a flash kindled in his eyes. And a bitter smile passed over his lips then like his comrades he sank again into reverie as soon as the escort arrived in a city when they had conducted the king to his quarters the four friends either retired to their own or to some secluded cabaret where they neither drank nor played they only conversed in a low voice looking around attentively to see that no one overheard them one day when the king had halted to fly the magpie and the four friends according to their custom instead of following the sport had stopped at a cabaret on the high road a man coming from la rochelle on horseback pulled up at the door to drink a glass of wine and darted a searching glance into the room where the four musketeers were sitting Hello, monsieur d'artagnan said he is not that you whom i see yonder D'Artagnan raised his head and uttered a cry of joy. It was the man he called his phantom. It was his stranger of Mayung, of the Rue de Fosseilleux and of Arras. D'Artagnan drew his sword and sprang toward the door. But this time, instead of avoiding him, the stranger jumped from his horse and advanced to meet D'Artagnan. Ah, monsieur, said the young man, I meet you then at last this time you shall not escape me neither is it my intention monsieur for this time i was seeking you in the name of the king i arrest you how what do you say cried d'artagnan i say that you must surrender your sword to me monsieur and that without resistance this concerns your head i warn you who are you then demanded d'artagnan lowering the point of his sword but without yet surrendering it i am the chevalier de rochefort answered the other the equerry of monsieur the cardinal richelieu and i have orders to conduct you to his eminence we are returning to his eminence monsieur the chevalier said athos advancing and you will please to accept the word of monsieur d'artagnan that he will go straight to la rochelle i must place him in the hands of guards who will take him into the camp we will be his guards monsieur upon our word as gentlemen but likewise upon our word as gentlemen added athos knitting his brow monsieur d'artagnan shall not leave us the chevalier de rochefort cast a glance backward and saw that porthos and aramis had placed themselves between him and the gate He understood that he was completely at the mercy of these four men gentlemen said he if monsieur d'artagnan will surrender his sword to me and join his word to yours i shall be satisfied with your promise to convey monsieur d'artagnan to the quarters of monseigneur the cardinal you have my word monsieur and here is my sword this suits me the better said rochefort as i wish to continue my journey if it is for the purpose of rejoining milady said athos coolly it is useless you will not find her what has become of her then said rochefort eagerly return to camp and you shall know rochefort remained for a moment in thought then as they were only a day's journey from sugera whether the cardinal was to come to meet the king he resolved to follow the advice of Athos and go with them. Besides, this return offered him the advantage of watching his prisoner. They resumed their route. On the morrow at three o'clock in the afternoon, they arrived at Sergera. The cardinal there awaited Louis the Thirteenth. The minister and the king exchanged numerous caresses, felicitating each other upon the fortunate chance which had freed France from the inveterate enemy who set all Europe against her after which the cardinal, who had been informed that D'Artagnan was arrested and who was anxious to see him, took leave of the king, inviting him to come the next day to view the work already done upon the dyke. On returning in the evening to his quarters at the bridge of La Pierre, the cardinal found, standing before the house he occupied, D'Artagnan, without his sword, and the three musketeers, armed. This time, as he was well attended, he looked at them sternly, and made a sign with his eye and hand for d'Artagnan to follow him. D'Artagnan obeyed. We shall wait for you, d'Artagnan, said Athos loud enough for the cardinal to hear him. His eminence bent his brow, stopped for an instant, and then kept on his way without uttering a single word. D'Artagnan entered after the cardinal, and behind d'Artagnan the door was guarded. His eminence entered the chamber which served him as a study and made a sign to Rochefort to bring in the young musketeer. Rochefort obeyed and retired. D'Artagnan remained alone in front of the cardinal. This was his second interview with Richelieu, and he afterward confessed that he felt well assured it would be his last. Richelieu remained standing, leaning against the mantelpiece. A table was between him and D'Artagnan. Monsieur, said the cardinal, you have been arrested by my orders so they tell me monseigneur do you know why no monseigneur for the only thing for which i could be arrested is still unknown to your eminence richelieu looked steadfastly at the young man helloa said he what does that mean if monseigneur will have the goodness to tell me in the first place what crimes are imputed to me i will then tell him the deeds i have really done crimes are imputed to you which had brought down far loftier heads than yours monsieur said the cardinal what monseigneur said d'artagnan with a calmness which astonished the cardinal himself you are charged with having corresponded with the enemies of the kingdom you are charged with having surprised state secrets you are charged with having tried to thwart the plans of your general and who charges me with this monseigneur said d'artagnan who had no doubt the accusation came from milady a woman branded by the justice of the country a woman who has espoused one man in france and another in england A woman who poisoned her second husband, who attempted both to poison and assassinate me? What do you say, monsieur? cried the cardinal, astonished. And of what woman are you speaking thus? Of Milady de Winter? replied d'Artagnan. Yes, of Milady de Winter, of whose crimes your eminence is doubtless ignorant, since you have honored her with your confidence. Monsieur, said the cardinal, If milady de Winter has committed the crimes you lay to her charge, she shall be punished." "'She has been punished, monseigneur.' "'And who has punished her?' "'We.' "'She is in prison?' "'She is dead.' "'Dead?' repeated the cardinal, who could not believe what he heard. "'Dead?' did you not say she was dead three times she attempted to kill me and i pardoned her but she murdered the woman i loved then my friends and i took her tried her and condemned her d'artagnan then related the poisoning of madame bonacieux in the convent of the carmelites at bethune the trial in the isolated house and the execution on the banks of the lee a shudder crept through the body of the cardinal who did not shudder readily But all at once, as if undergoing the influence of an unspoken thought, the countenance of the cardinal, till then gloomy, cleared up by degrees, and recovered perfect serenity. "'So,' said the cardinal in a tone that contrasted strongly with the severity of his words, "'you have constituted yourself judges, without remembering that they who punish without license to punish are assassins.' Monseigneur, I swear to you that I never for an instant had the intention of defending my head against you. I willingly submit to any punishment your eminence may please to inflict upon me. I do not hold life dear enough to be afraid of death. Yes, I know you are a man of a stout heart, monsieur, said the cardinal with a voice almost affectionate. I can therefore tell you beforehand you shall be tried and even condemned." Another might reply to your eminence that he had his pardon in his pocket. I content myself with saying, command, monseigneur, I am ready. Your pardon? said Richelieu, surprised. Yes, monseigneur, said d'Artagnan. And signed by whom? By the king. And the cardinal pronounced these words with a singular expression of contempt no uh, by your eminence by me you are insane monsieur monseigneur will doubtless recognize his own handwriting and d'artagnan presented to the cardinal the precious piece of paper which athos had forced from milady and which he had given to d'artagnan to serve him as a safeguard his eminence took the paper and read in a slow voice dwelling upon every syllable December 3rd, 1627, it is by my order, and for the good of the state, that the bearer of this has done what he has done. Richelieu? The cardinal, after having read these two lines, sank into a profound reverie, but he did not return the paper to D'Artagnan. "'He is meditating by what sort of punishment he shall cause me to die,' said the Gascon to himself well my faith he shall see how a gentleman can die the young musketeer was in an excellent disposition to die heroically richelieu still continued thinking rolling and unrolling the paper in his hands at length he raised his head fixed his eagle look upon that loyal open and intelligent countenance read upon that face furrowed with tears all the sufferings its possessor had endured in the course of a month and reflected for the third or fourth time how much there was in that youth of twenty-one years before him, and what resources his activity, his courage, and his shrewdness might offer to a good master. On the other side, the crimes, the power, and the infernal genius of Milady had more than once terrified him. He felt something like a secret joy at being forever relieved of this dangerous accomplice. Richelieu slowly tore the paper which D'Artagnan had generously relinquished. "'I am lost,' said D'Artagnan to himself, and he bowed profoundly before the cardinal like a man who says, "'Lord, thy will be done.' The cardinal approached the table, and without sitting down, wrote a few lines upon a parchment of which two-thirds were already filled, and affixed his seal. "'That is my condemnation.' thought d'Artagnan. He will spare me the ennui of the Bastille or the tediousness of a trial. That's that's very kind of him. Here, monsieur, said the cardinal to the young man. I have taken from you one carte blanche to give you another. The name is wanting in this commission. You can write it yourself. D'Artagnan took the paper hesitatingly and cast his eyes over it it was a lieutenant's commission in the musketeers d'artagnan fell at the feet of the cardinal monseigneur said he my life is yours henceforth dispose of it but this favor which you bestow upon me i do not merit i have three friends who are more meritorious and more worthy you are a brave youth d'artagnan interrupted the cardinal tapping him familiarly on the shoulder charmed at having vanquished this rebellious nature do with this commission what you will only remember though the name be blank it is to you i give it i shall never forget it replied d'artagnan your eminence may be certain of that the cardinal turned and said in a loud voice rochefort the chevalier who no doubt was near the door entered immediately rochefort said the Cardinal. You see, Monsieur d'Artagnan, I receive him among the number of my friends. Greet each other, then, and be wise if you wish to preserve your heads. Rochefort and d'Artagnan coolly greeted each other with their lips, but the Cardinal was there, observing them with his vigilant eye. They left the chamber at the same time. We shall meet again, shall we not, Monsieur? When you please said d'Artagnan. An opportunity will come, replied Rochefort. Hey, said the cardinal, opening the door. The two men smiled at each other, shook hands, and saluted his eminence. We were beginning to grow impatient, said Athos. Here I am, my friends, replied d'Artagnan, not only free, but in favor. Tell us about it this evening but for the moment let us separate accordingly that same evening d'artagnan repaired to the quarters of athos whom he found in a fair way to empty a bottle of spanish wine an occupation which he religiously accomplished every night d'artagnan related what had taken place between the cardinal and himself and drawing the commission from his pocket said here my dear athos this naturally belongs to you athos smiled with one of his sweet and expressive smiles friend said he for athos this is too much for the comte de la fere it is too little keep the commission it is yours alas you have purchased it dearly enough d'artagnan left athos's chamber and went to that of porthos he found him clothed in a magnificent dress covered with splendid embroidery, admiring himself before a glass. Aha! Is that you, my dear friend? exclaimed Porthos. How do you think these garments fit me? Wonderfully, said D'Artagnan, but I have come to offer you a dress which will become you still better. What? asked Porthos. That of a lieutenant of musketeers. D'Artagnan related to Porthos the substance of his interview with the cardinal, and said, taking the commission from his pocket, Here, my friend, write your name upon it and become my chief. Porthos cast his eyes over the commission and returned it to D'Artagnan, to the great astonishment of the young man. Yes, said he. Yes, that would flatter me very much but I should not have time enough to enjoy the distinction. During our expedition to Bethune, the husband of my duchess died. So, my dear, the coffer of the defunct holding out its arms to me, I shall marry the widow. Look here, I was trying on my wedding suit. Keep the lieutenancy, my dear, keep it. The young man then entered the apartment of Aramis. He found him kneeling before a prie-dieu, with his head leaning on an open prayer-book. He described to him his interview with the cardinal, and said for the third time, drawing his commission from his pocket, "'You, our friend, our intelligence, our invisible protector, accept this commission. You have merited it more than any of us by your wisdom and your counsels, always followed by such happy results.' "'Alas, dear friend,' said Aramis, our late adventures have disgusted me with military life this time my determination is irrevocably taken after the siege i shall enter the house of the lazarus keep the commission d'artagnan the profession of arms suits you you will be a brave and adventurous captain d'artagnan his eye moist with gratitude though beaming with joy went back to athos whom he found still at table contemplating the charms of his last glass of Malaga by the light of his lamp. Well, said he, they likewise have refused me. That dear friend is because nobody is more worthy than yourself. And he took a quill, wrote the name of d'Artagnan in the commission and returned it to him. I shall then have no more friends said the young man. Alas, nothing but bitter recollections. And he let his head sink upon his hands while two large tears rolled down his cheeks. You are young, replied Athos, and your bitter recollections have time to change themselves into sweet remembrances. End of chapter 67. Recording by John Van Stan. Savannah, Georgia. Epilogue of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 1, The Three Musketeers, by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Epilogue La Rochelle, deprived of the assistance of the English fleet and of the diversion promised by Buckingham, surrendered after a siege of a year. On the 28th of October, 1628, the capitulation was signed. The king made his entrance into Paris on the twenty-third of December of the same year, he was received in triumph, as if he came from conquering an enemy, and not Frenchmen, he entered by the Faubourg Saint Jacques, under verdant arches, d'Artagnan took possession of his command, Porthos left the service, and in the course of the following year married Madame Coquenard, the coffer so much coveted contained eight hundred thousand livres. Mousqueton had a magnificent livery and enjoyed the satisfaction of which she had been ambitious all his life, that of standing behind a gilded carriage. Aramis, after a journey into Lorraine, disappeared all at once and ceased to write to his friends. They learned at a later period through Madame de Chevreuse, who told it to two or three of her intimates, that yielding to his vocation he had retired into a convent, only into which nobody knew. Bazin became a lay brother. Athos remained a musketeer under the command of d'Artagnan till the year 1633, at which period, after a journey he made to Touraine, he also quit the service under the pretext of having inherited a small property in Roussillon. Grimaud followed Athos. D'Artagnan fought three times with Rochefort and wounded him three times. I shall probably kill you the fourth, said he to him, holding out his hand to assist him to rise. "'It is much better, both for you and for me, to stop where we are,' answered the wounded man. "Corbleu! I am more your friend than you think, for after our very first encounter I could, by saying a word to the cardinal, have had your throat cut.' They this time embraced heartily and without retaining any malice. Planchet had obtained from Rochefort the rank of sergeant in the Piedmont regiment. Monsieur Bonacieux lived on very quietly, wholly ignorant of what had become of his wife, and caring very little about it. One day he had the imprudence to recall himself to the memory of the cardinal. The cardinal had him informed that he would provide for him, so that he should never want for anything in the future. In fact, M. Bonacieux, having left his house at seven o'clock in the evening to go to the Louvre, never appeared again in the Rue des Fosseilleurs. The opinion of those who seemed to be best informed was that he was fed and lodged in some royal castle at the expense of his generous eminence. End of the Epilogue End of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 1, The Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia, on a sunny August day in 2018.